0: Hi everyone. We hope you're all well and we are all looking forward to worshiping with you again soon. This morning's reading is from Psalm 6. O Lord, deliver my life to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the shemineth, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief, it grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea, the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Amen.
1: Good morning, um it's good to be back with you again this morning and uh, how fun to see so many faces again this morning Joel leading us in worship Tammy with the Bible reading Phil's life group and Mick uh, leading the service Um, I just enjoy seeing them and and seeing different faces and and I don't know if you were part of it last week I I hope you were but we got together for we did our first kind of all of church coffee breakout thing and it was good fun seeing different faces then too and 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 just having a good old chat Um, it's great being part of community community is one of those things that uh, maybe we've found or you found a little harder in this season to build but I feel appreciative that God has given us ways to uh, be able to do that um, even uh, via our computers and that and I feel appreciative for One Hope Community Church and and all that we can be for each other My name's Andrew. Um, If you don't know me, if you're watching, you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here and and it's my privilege and I'm looking forward to sharing the word with you this morning. Uh, Tammy has read the psalm that we're focusing on today and as we preach through the first seven psalms, um, today we find ourselves at Psalm 6. We've enjoyed listening to or or hearing and um, understanding more of the first five psalms. Um, or at least I've enjoyed them and I hope you have as well. And, and I'm learning much and I'm, I'm, I'm learning new things. I'm seeing, you know, I'm being reminded of God's blessing, um, His presence, um, His salvation, His guidance and His mercy and His peace that we can find when we rest and His righteous paths. And there's so much more. There's so many reminders and sometimes it's a kind of a a new sense that you get, and sometimes um, it's something you already knew, uh, but it was a great reminder and a great encouragement. So I've really enjoyed it, and I hope you have as well. You know, today's psalm is just a little different. I don't know if you picked that up when you heard um, Tammy reading it or when you read through it yourself. You might you'd be forgiven for calling it a dark psalm, if you like. It seems tough and very low. In fact, um, at the start of it, it says to the choir master with the stringed instruments according to the Sheminith. I think I said that right. Uh, It's a song set to the Sheminith. Well, you know, I'd like to sound really smart, but I looked that up. And what it is, it is actually the lowest of instruments or denotes the lowest of voices or it's set to the lowest possible tone. Now, I'm not saying that that's inspired, but boy, it does seem appropriate to hear this psalm in a really low voice with a low instrument, etc., doesn't it? It's also the first of what are called the penitential psalms. There are seven penitential psalms, or some would call them psalms of lament, too. Um, To be penitent is to to, to have an awareness of sin and, and a desire to repent. An awareness of sin and a desire to repent is is to be penitent. And this is the first of the penitential psalms that we see in this book of Psalms. We're not exactly sure when this psalm was written or under exactly what circumstances it was written. There's lots of speculation. Except that we do see that David is not in a good space. You'll notice the overarching tone of the psalm is one of anguish, uh, and, and and despair and and some and some commentators would also call it a psalm that denotes spiritual depression some commentators call it the, uh, the night time of the soul or the dark night of the soul David's dark night of the soul H- however it's called or however you understand it it sure is a serious cry that David issues here isn't it it's not just a minor inconvenience or I've stubbed my toe or things are not working in my favour. It's not a a minor situation. When we read through this, we get a sense that this is not minor, this is not a simple thing. And in fact, in my Bible, it's it's titled above that, it's titled, O Lord, Deliver My Life. Um, And then in verse 3, we we see that, that cry, How Long? And that's a cry of pain. So we understand that this is not just a minor situation. This is not a minor scuffle or one of these little inconveniences that David goes through. It's a serious cry that David is issuing here. And I think, but I think if we look at the psalm, we see see two major things. We see what the sources are for David's real anguish, why he's lamenting and why he's penitent. But we also see the hope that he finds and, and, and the hope that he clings to. And as we talk about this psalm, I want us to see those two. I want us to understand those those couple of things. So if we look at the sources first, uh, uh, the sources of David's real anguish, there are are three contributing factors that we can see to David's anguish and depression. Three things that he laments over or he is miserable, miserable about, if you like. The first is that a consciousness or a conviction of sin Uh, The second is some kind of physical ailment or illness, something that's physically ailing him. And the third thing we can see in there is, is persistent enemies or opposition. So if we look at those, if you look at verse 1 and 2a, we can see that David was deeply troubled by his sin. And if I read that, I would say, "'O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. "'Be gracious to me, O Lord,' For I am languishing. He was deeply troubled by his sin. Languishing is, a, I'm not sure we use that word anymore nowadays. But languishing is this sense of, this sense of, oh, I'm, there is no hope. I'm just, I can't see any hope. He says, I'm languishing. He's troubled by his sin, a- and perhaps there is a particular sin on David's mind. We don't get to know that. Again, there's lots of speculation, but we know that he acknowledged. His sin, and he asks God to go easy. Don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Rather, be gracious to me. You see, David knew that he was deserving of the rebuke, that um, that he deserved God to not be gracious. You don't ask someone to go easy if you don't even think you deserve it, do you? So we understand that David was. De- he knew that he was deserving of the rebuke. He's not trying to avoid discipline, but he's asking for it to come out of love. He's asking for a God that loves him to be gracious to him. And one of the key things that I notice, and and I'd like us to notice, is that he does ask. He doesn't hold back from asking. He recognises that he is deserving a rebuke. But even though I deserve this, God, I ask you to be gracious. And there's a hint there, isn't there, of David's relationship and and his understanding of his God. So the first thing was we see a consciousness of sin and this sense of conviction. And the other contributing factor we see to David's misery or or, or his state of depression and where he is, is in verse 2b, the second part of verse 2, where he says, "'Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled.'" Now, I've sometimes complained to my wife about being sick. I've got a headache, or I've got a stomach ache, or I ache all over. But I've never, ever used the language, Oh, Sue, my bones are troubled. Um, those are deep words. And we see that David was clearly suffering physical illness or ailment. Heal me for my bones are troubled. That's kind of Old Testament speak for I hurt bad. My bones are really troubled. Now, we, we don't know what the sickness was, um, but most commentators would agree that it was a serious sickness, that it wasn't just, again, it wasn't just a stub toe or perhaps he cut himself while, while he was fighting a lion or something like that. But most commentators would say it was serious because in verse 5, David starts talking about death. And he's talking about something serious because death Um, could result from this. Don't let me go there. God, this is serious. My bones are troubled, but don't let me go there. Uh, And he goes on and talks about, I can't praise you there. And um, in the Old Testament, in David's day, there was a little bit of a different picture of death. The whole He uses the word Sheol. In Sheol, who will give you praise? There was a bit of an understanding that um, you could have a good death or a bad death. And whether you're a good person or a bad person, but everybody went to Sheol. And there was not quite a clear understanding that we have of the afterlife. There was this sense where God couldn't be found there. You couldn't talk to God there. You you couldn't praise Him anymore. You couldn't reflect that you belonged to Him anymore. And and we see that in in David's words For in death there is no remembrance of you. Um, Who will give you praise in Sheol? So David was ill. Or injured, and it was greatly troubling him. Then the third contributing factor we see is that David talks about enemies, doesn't he? We know that he has persistent enemies. In verse 7, we see him speak about foes. You know, in verse 7, he says, uh, My eyes are wasted away because of grief, it, gro- it grows weak because of all my foes. And in verse 8 and 10, he talks about the workers of evil in his life and enemies. Now David's life was kind of beset by enemies a little bit, isn't it? And we can see that in a lot of different psalms. David being a king was was unique, wasn't he? He wasn't just a king, he was a unique king. He was also a warrior, he was known to be a warrior of war. And so there were perhaps there were three layers of enemies in David's life, you know, the enemies he had to contend with. Uh, those that were Outside that would try to overthrow his kingdom. There's always wars. There's always other kings grabbing alliances together and trying to defeat uh, David's kingdom. And there's this constant sense of going out to battle. And so one layer is he's got the, the enemies from the outside consistently trying to overthrow him and his kingdom. The other layer of enemies is those inside. And we know from um, our, our understanding of David's life that there were enemies inside. We know that some of them were close. His own son, Absalom. Um, we know the tribe of Benjamin. You know, the tribe of Benjamin, that they, they would say, and in Samuel it talks about, you know, we don't recognise you. You are not our king. Unless, of course, it suited them. When uh, the enemies from outside were coming, then it was suited them to be under David the king. You're not our king. And the reason that came was, you know, King Saul before David had been a Benjaminite. And and they always believed that the next king should come out of the tribe of Benjamin. And David didn't. And so they rejected David as king. And so there was this constant sense of uh, potential defection or enemies or people trying to undermine David's um, reign from within including his own son. So we have from enemies from the outside, you have enemies on the inside. Can you imagine the, the stress of having, to, having to, um, to manage all that? And notice if, you're, and if you have those two of the enemies, notice that if you're sick or if you're, if you're physically struggling and you're ailing really bad, that's not a good thing for a king because that would be the time the enemies on the outside would say, we've heard the king is sick, now's the time to attack. And so there's a bit of fear built in there as well. And then the third layer of enemies is the enemies inside himself, the demons inside himself, the struggle he has with sin, the, the failure and, 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 and failing his God. So these three things are really real. These three enemies are really real in Davis, and it's causing quite a depression. These three things, his sin, his illness and this constant sense of enemies were causing David a sense of weariness, of languishing. And as I was reading that, and, and I wanted to ask, can you feel it as you read it? When you read through that, do you, do you feel it, or, or or when you hear it, if someone reads it to you, can you feel it too? That sense of 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 weariness, of misery, of oh my goodness. You know, it's important to say here that weariness and depression are also a part of the Christian experience. The fact that David is in despair, and perhaps even in depression, doesn't mean he's not a believer. You know, um, we can sometimes get in situations as Christians or we can behave as Christians, or perhaps you've encountered someone who who's really positive and and they find it really difficult to deal with people that are struggling. And and if you're struggling with, uh, and you're miserable or you're you're weary or depressed, you, you don't feel as welcome because you feel like you've got to be up all the time. You know, despair and depression doesn't mean you're not a believer. The reality is that our journey in life can and will take us through seasons where we don't feel that joy 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 deep in my heart You remember that song you know i've got joy 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 down deep in my heart the reality is that life will take us through seasons where that isn't always true now that could be one big thing or one large season in your life or a big thing but it can be a bunch of little things that build up and cause you to be weary as well and so it's okay to express to god it's not a sin it's not a uh, an indication of not believing in god and for David, these three things are eclipsing all of his life. It's all encompassing. It's not just a you know my work life or my family life or my social life is is you know he uses language where it's affecting all of his life. It's affecting his rest. And we've talked about rest. I mean, remember Glenn shared in Psalm four about restlessness and sleep and that. But David says you know, and if we have a look in verse six, he says. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. Now the bed was was what they talked about. That would would have signified his night was full of misery. The couch was where a king would sit during the day. And what he's saying there is my day is also. He's saying it's actually taking my whole life. This is a day and night thing. And then we see in verse 3 where David says, My soul is greatly troubled. Um, I'm anguished, I'm vexed in some translations. And the original language would indicate depression. And he finishes with, Oh Lord, how long? Because I don't know if I can deal with this. And it kind of, you end up on this low point when you read that. And you're almost with Dave and you're thinking, Oh my goodness, what good can come out of this? Sin, sickness, opposition, those three things are also not foreign to us. They are also a part of our life, aren't they? And that's why this psalm and and lots of other psalms are helpful for us to meditate on and to, to learn to hear God through and to understand God through. Have you ever got to this point? Have you ever said, maybe not out loud, maybe just in your head or maybe even out loud, how long will this go on? I can't deal with this. Has that ever been something you've dealt with? And maybe you're feeling it now. Maybe, you know, in our current situation, how long before I can see my friends? It might just be that. Or it might be a sickness that you're struggling with or a relationship that's not going right. Or maybe it's a, a sin or a habit that you, you've been struggling to break through or, or a connection with God or a feeling distant. Maybe it's a dream that, that you've been waiting on for a long time. think about it what might it be for you have you ever said oh how long when when will this end when can I get past this Um, I I don't know if I can deal with this if this is the way it's going to be forever I I don't know if I want this have you ever done that if you have and I have then you're in good company here with David aren't you because let's look now how David reacts Let's look at the hope that he has and he grabs hold of. Let's see the hope that he has and the messages that that hope is for us as well. In verse 2, we see it already. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, for my bones are troubled. And like I said earlier, David acknowledges his sin, that he deserves the rebuke that's coming to him. And yet he asks God to be gracious because he knows God. He knows that sin greatly displeases God. But he also knows that sin, his sin, doesn't separate him from God. That he can still ask God to be gracious. That's a really important thing to understand, isn't it? He knows that his sin displeases God. He knows that it, it, it can make God angry. It can disappoint God. It's not... But he also knows God well enough to know that his sin doesn't separate him from God, that he can still go to God and ask him to be gracious. He asks God for mercy. He acknowledges his sin, but then he asks God for mercy. You know, we shouldn't sin. We know that. We, we tell kids that in, in Sunday school or in Turbo Kids or when they're growing up, you know, you shouldn't do bad. You shouldn't sin. Because it doesn't honour God. And that's a message for us as adults too. We shouldn't sin because it, doesn't, it offends him. But the truth we need to know is that sin does not separate us from God. It doesn't cause his ears to be blocked. God does not abandon us because of our sin. And that's the truth. Our sin, whilst it displeases God, doesn't separate us from him. And the good news for us is is that God has been incredibly gracious. You know, David's asking for God's grace and and I'm not sure what grace looks like for David. I'm not sure what what it means for him or how he might experience that. But the good news for us is that God has been incredibly gracious. We We are not and have not been treated as our sins deserve. David didn't know the half of it, but we do. Through Jesus... We've been extended amazing grace, haven't we? You know, Tim Keller defines grace like this. There's lots of definitions of grace, and Tim Keller's probably got a ton of them as well, but he says this, grace is favour you don't deserve from someone who is not obligated to give it. Let me say that again. Grace is favour you do not deserve from someone who's not obligated to give it to you. Now, we don't, or at least I don't, always feel that favour. As in, my sin can really get me down and, and you know, often the enemy would like nothing more than for me to languish in it uh, without hope and, and to have that language that has no hope. You know, things like, I'm too bad, I've, I've done too much wrong, you know, I, I certainly couldn't come into the presence of God or... You know, things like that. And maybe you can identify, maybe you've had seasons like that. You know, um, I don't always feel that favour and perhaps you don't either. But this psalm tells us that like David, you and I can call on God. We can ask God to remind us of his graciousness. You know, and, and grace, it doesn't matter who you are. God's grace is something that that is far reaching. And Tim Keller went on in this same message when he talked about grace and he talked about the reach of grace for every single human being. And he said this, no one is good enough that they don't need grace and no one is bad enough that they can't find grace. Isn't that comforting? On the one hand that's that's challenging uh, to those of us that feel like I'm doing okay. No one is good enough not to need grace. And it's there for us. And no one is bad enough that they can't find grace. And that's really comforting, isn't it? David knew a gracious God and so can we. That was David's hope. Here's another thing. David's misery causes him to want to be in God's presence and not away from God. Have a look at verse 4 with me. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Uh, God, turn to me. In the midst of David's depression, he leans on God's love for deliverance. He knows, uh, as we said before, he knows that he deserves it. But he also knows that God's love is steadfast. In some other translations, it calls for your unfailing love. He knows that God's love is not going to fail. If he steps onto that, it's like that, that rock in the water that isn't just a floating fake rock. I can step on it and I know it's there. He knows that God's love is steadfast unfailing even though I fail. Not because of me, but because of you. Do you see that? Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Not because of me, but because of you. I know you are gracious. I know you will deliver me. And even though I'm depressed and miserable, even in my current state, it doesn't mean the absence of salvation. Did you hear that? Being absent of depression is not a condition for salvation. Even though I'm depressed, it does not mean that my deliverance is gone, that my salvation is gone. And it doesn't mean that the reality of my sin does not cut off God's deliverance. There's this huge statement of faith there that David makes turn and deliver me and save me for the sake of your steadfast love. He knows that God's unfailing and steadfast love is dependable. That he's not, but God's love is. And that's, what he, that's why he says, So turn to me, I can be in your presence because of who you are. If I was going to come into your presence because of who I am, and then I probably would want to be shy away from you. Have you ever felt like that? But no, turn to me, God, because of your steadfast love. The presence of our sin and the reality of it doesn't nullify our deliverance. Why is that? Well, it's because my deliverance and my salvation are on account of God's love. They're not on account of what I do or who I am, but who he is. And that's much more of a sliver of hope, much more than a sliver of hope right there. That's rock solid. David knows this and so can we. You know, the enemy would often whisper in our ears, or would like to whisper in our ears, that our languishing in sin, our sickness or the opposition we have in our life, would suggest somehow that our salvation is at stake, that somehow our salvation is threatened because of it. That's what the enemy would like us to think, but nothing could be further from the truth. We can cry out to God, as David did, and we can say, turn to me, O Lord. I am not worthy, but because of your steadfast love, I can and I want to be in your presence. That's hope as well. And the third thing that I see with David is he knew that God would and did hear his prayer and accepted it. And we see that in verse 9 and 10. Let me read those with you, verse 9 and 10. He says, The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly troubled. They'll turn their back and be put to shame in a moment. God would and did hear hear his prayer and accepted it. Whose prayer? His prayer. This sinning saint. This sinning saint's prayer was heard and accepted by God. And David knew that, didn't he? He knew that he belonged to God, that nothing would stop him from hearing his prayers. You know, it's important to note that perhaps that didn't mean that God would always answer the prayers the way that David wanted. And we can see that if we look at David's life, that that was often the case, that it There was an answer, but it wasn't exactly or or what David wanted. But he knew that God heard and, and accepted his prayer. In spite of David's hurt, in spite of his doubt and his pain and misery, he still had faith in God's covenant faithfulness. And he has faith for two things, doesn't he? That God hears him and that his enemies will be taken care of. Did you see that? You know, he has faith, he's heard my plea and accepts it, and he's going to deal with my enemies. Those two things. He, He knows that God hears him and his enemies will be taken care of. You know, and God hears our prayers, my prayers, your prayers too, in spite of our hurt, in spite of our doubts, and perhaps in spite of our wavering sometimes and or misery and and perhaps you've had seasons of depression and anxiety and low times this reminds us that we can have faith in our covenant god we can know that god hears our prayers and he accepts them and, and he does answer them and just like david perhaps it's not always the way that we want them answered but that doesn't mean he's not hearing he does hear our prayers and he accepts our prayers you know, and I'm think, I was thinking when I was doing this, and, and by the way, David had such a small idea of what, you know, when, when he says, and, and, and God is going to take care of my enemies, he's going to deal with my enemies. You know, David had a small picture of that, you know, he had no idea what it would look like when God stepped into the world with his son, Jesus, that the enemy would be taken care of. We see that now, don't we? God has taken care of our enemy, the one who would seek to defeat us and and destroy us. This whole psalm is a testimony to David's bold and humble confidence. At first, when you read it, it looks like this whole psalm is just showing us that, boy, you can be miserable, but you 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 can seek God. But really, if you have a look at it, this is a testimony to David's bold and humble confidence, despite where he is. In a, in a less than ideal moment in David's life, he's bold and confident. And maybe that's a great lesson for us too. He was bold in verse 1 and 2, asking for mercy and grace, even though he knew that, that he was wrong and that he did, perhaps didn't deserve it. He was bold in verse 4, asking for deliverance and, and appealing to God's love. Because you love me, God, you know, deliver me. He was bold to declare that God heard and accepted his prayer. Can you talk to God like that? You know, I, I know I messed up, God. I, I know that that was wrong and I know I keep messing up. But don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't, don't be gracious to me. I know that, um, that I, I, I wander into the wrong places. I know that I think wrong and, and I know that... Um, that perhaps um, I disappoint you. But Lord, hear my prayers. Accept my prayer. I'm struggling with enemies around me and, and um, the things that keep battling me. But Lord, defeat my enemies. Can you talk to God like that? Can you go with bold confidence to God even in a time where you've messed up? You see, the season for asking for grace is not only in the ideal times. You know, those are times, when it's ideal, those are times that it's much easier to reflect on grace. And it's much easier to celebrate grace and talk about that. But the season for asking for grace is not only in those times, isn't it? It's when we're really down. It's when we're feeling dirty, perhaps. Boldness is going into his presence even when it's messy. You know, sometimes we have this faulty theology, don't we, that God can't work with a dirty or messy life. The truth actually is that those are the only lives that he works with. Am I right? None of us have no dirt. Those are the lives that God works with. That's called redemption. This gives us confidence to approach God ourselves. You know, the the writer to the Hebrews said this, and this is a great encouragement for us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, and I think you'll have it on the screen there. The writer says that since we have, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, or our confidence perhaps. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, our sin, our sickness and our opposition. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, and this is the verse, isn't it? Let us then with confidence draw near, turn, God, draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. You see, that's what David had. He found grace in his time of need. That reminds us of who Jesus is and how we can approach him for what he has done for us. David, in his uh, depression, in his languishing, turned to God with bold confidence and asked for mercy. This psalm is a gift to us. It shows us that sin, doubt, misery, being down, attacks and even depression are no reasons to draw away from God. On the contrary, David shows us that they're reasons to go to God. Seek Him, press into Him confidently because he already knows, and he hears our heart. <clears throat> he hears our hearts ache, and he accepts us because we're his. The enemy would like to see uh, like us to see ourselves unhitched from God because of our circumstances, but the cross tells us that we are never unhitched from God, and our deliverance, both now and eternally, is sure. It's fixed in his steadfast love, in his unfailing love, in him. Oh, it doesn't always immediately change our circumstances. It doesn't mean that instantly after a prayer like that, that that everything changes. And I'm sure, and we know that that wasn't the case for David. But it helps us to see that he's with us, right where we are. That Jesus didn't always promise to take us out of situations, but he did promise to be with us, right in them. Jesus is with us. He hears us. He heals us. He accepts us. And He will deliver us because of His love that is steadfast and unfailing. You know, there's an old hymn that, that has a few wonderful verses. And, and it's not a popular hymn. And I don't know if you've ever, ever seen it or heard it. <clears throat> but there's a few verses in there. And I just want to read them to you, just in closing. Uh, they'll be on the screen. And I just want to read those to you. They're very encouraging. And in verse 1 says, Jesus, what a strength in weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, he, my strength, my victory wins. Jesus, what a help in sorrow, while the billow over me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul and Jesus what a guide and keeper while the tempest still is high storms about me night overtakes me he my pilot hears my cry those are encouraging words. that's our saviour that's our God and like David we can cry out to him acknowledge who we are But cry out to him and he hears and accepts us because of his steadfast, unfailing love. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful wisdom of your word. And particularly as we're looking at the Psalms now, we want to thank you for the the wonderful, open way that we see your response to us as your children. We see that through David's life. We see that... that, um, Um, even here on earth our lives are are less than ideal so many times but you are never less than ideal your steadfast love is never less your unfailing love never has a percentage of failure and we can't make it be like that and we thank you lord that um, we can turn to you that in the midst of our our sin our brokenness the times when we've caused our own pain and misery the times where misery or pain has been caused for us, or well, those are times where we can say, "Turn to us, O God. Save us, deliver us." And we can know that when we do that, that you hear our plea, that you hear our prayer, and that you accept it. What a wonderful, comforting uh, truth! What a wonderful thing to know that you are the God who saves. Lord, you're the God who defeats our enemies, and Lord, you're the God who defeated our greatest enemy. Thank you, Jesus, that our deliverance is fixed in stone, that our salvation is sure because of your great work on the cross. And We thank you that we can uh, come into your presence because of that. Know that we're loved because of that. Know that we're healed because of that. Lord, help us to walk into our lives and weeks being reminded of those truths. In Jesus' name, amen.